This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. No matter what happens on Saturday night, we are glad to be here today. We're glad to see you. Thank you for coming and being part of uh, your weekend to be here in the Lord's house. We're glad to see you. Would you, uh, would you find in your Bibles or smartphones or wherever you may find it, some Bibles are there underneath the chairs, but the Second Chronicles, the Old Testament book of Second Chronicles chapter 7, going to be reading verses 1 through 3 and verses 11 through 16. Apologize if you see First Chronicles written somewhere down. Uh, in some of the notes that you may have, but we are definitely in Second Chronicles most of the way today. You want to keep your Bibles open as well. But we're glad to see you. We're glad. Thank you so much for our praise band. And appreciate them leading us in worship today. Andrew, for keeping everybody in shape and in business where they need to be. Would you give a round of applause how the Lord has used our praise band today? Always appreciate the way in which they lead us in worship and uh, good to awaken our hearts and minds and souls today so that we might be alert to what the Lord has uh, in store for us. We're in Second Chronicles uh, today and uh, reading verse uh, chapter 7, going to be reading verses 1 through 3. This now is the Word of God. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord of the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 11 of Second Chronicles 7 says, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and his own house, he successively accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I've heard your prayer. I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word today. The uh, title for today's uh, message was chosen many days ago. Knowing that Iron Bow weekend was here and perhaps... and. I thought about 5.15 last night, I thought, man, this really is going to be a good title for today. Well, the Lord has always things in mind and things in store, and regardless, we know that uh, uh, He's got things in store for us today so that we might be able to understand, maybe even more so from His Word and maybe even from our experience as well. Do you know the most talked about name in all of football today? Do you know what that name is? It's not Nick Saban, it's not Bo Nix. It's not Patrick Mahomes or Jalen Hurts. No, the most talked about name in all of football today is Taylor Swift. Well, if you're a Swifty, I guess that's a good thing. But, uh, and I understand it's not, it has not hurt the NFL. The most well-known verse in all of First or Second Chronicles is what we read here in Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Let's read it again to where it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And we're going to talk about today who, for whom this verse is intended and how we might be able to appropriately apply this verse today for us. It may be to some the only verse of Chronicles that seems 
familiar. And I know I don't have to defend any book that we preach about or that we study as well. In fact, uh, some of my favorite stories about David come from First Chronicles. and love the story of David where he's actually in the cave and they're about to go do battle with the Philistines and the three of his men actually leave the cave and they go to the town of Bethlehem that's surrounded by the Philistines and get David a cup of water so that he might drink from the well in Bethlehem. Prayer of Jabez has become a more popular prayer. It's found in the first few chapters of First Chronicles as well, reminding us that all of God's Word is important for us to be able to read, to understand all of it points to Jesus and exalts the name of our holy God. Another reason I like preaching all the Bible, and even books like Chronicles, is that it's kind of like an underdog that will surprise you with its meaning and application. Well, today we're going to be challenged to watch this particular text that reveals the authority of His Word and the power of God to move in this passage and realize that same power is at work today in the world today, particularly in the lives of all those who know and love Him. And it will be revealed even through His Word today, wants to be revealed in your everyday life and all those who place their trust in the living Lord Jesus. So today we're searching for this chapter to discover ways in which we are winners in Christ and losers to this world. We read a passage like this and want to make the correct understanding, correct application in light of the New Testament and what we know about Jesus. And we want to be able to see how this passage as well clearly points to Jesus and how the Lord is at work. And we're already victorious winners because of what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. I will tell you, though, and we're revealed in this scripture as well as others, that if you follow Jesus, if you, if you sell out to following Jesus, make Him Savior and Lord of your life, it will not give you necessarily power or prestige or popularity in the world in which we live. So you've got some notes there. If you want to follow along, it's more writing your own notes than it is actually maybe filling the blanks, which we sometimes do. But as a winner in Christ... Uh, I am, we're going to make it personal today. As a winner in Christ, I am filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus lives in me. Now, you may already recognize the events of what's going on here. If you know anything about the New Testament, Solomon, the son of David, is building the temple, the first one in Jerusalem. David wanted to build the temple, but God did not allow that. said his son would build the temple there in Jerusalem. He would be the builder. But after the temple had been built, furnishings had been brought in, Solomon prays a prayer of blessing and dedication. And there's some communication that goes on there with God and God speaks. Now Solomon, you know, as the, becomes king of Israel, he did not finish well. Some of you know the story of Solomon. The things of this world pulled him away from God. But Solomon started out well. And even the following God's will and building of this temple probably brings him to the pinnacle of doing God's will. So we celebrate Solomon's accomplishments, what God achieved through him. There's no reason for there to be a shadow over this dedication time, except that God's going to, to foretell of a future time when God's people would turn away. And they would forsake God, follow after the gods of this world, live pagan lives instead, and they'll be compelled to return to God. Thus, we have the verse from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and verse 14. But I want you to look a little bit closer at some of the verses today. We read verse 1 a moment ago. Let's read it again. And it says, As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings of the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Oftentimes in the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord is represented by a cloud. 
The glory of the Lord of the cloud led the Israelites out of Egypt into the wilderness. It filled the tabernacle often when God was in the tabernacle and would lead them when they were in the wilderness as well. And, uh, but does the, does the fire coming down from heaven, does it remind you of any future events in the Bible? Well, there's another one that comes along in the Old Testament where Elijah is on Mount Carmel. We talked about that not too long ago. And the fire, he called fire down from God that God would come. And the fire came in one second. And it consumed the sacrifice and the altar and the water that had been poured around it as well as all of the dirt around the altar as well. In fact, I talked about Elijah in what I called my one-second sermon back in 2014 after the kick-six game. And one of the things that God can do in one second. Yes, it's been 10 years, but yes, we're still hanging on to it, still talking about it. In the New Testament, this might remind you of the 120 who were in the upper room after the ascension of Jesus waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, it says that the Holy Spirit came down on all those who were believers. The Holy Spirit came down in, with tongues of fire on each follower of Jesus. There was the sound of a mighty rushing wind, like in Solomon's day, that filled the house where they were sitting. Each believer began to speak in a foreign tongue, such that those who were even from other parts of the world began to understand all that they were saying. Peter stood up and spoke and preached, told about these events and about the ascension or the resurrection of Jesus, and 3,000 were saved that day. All who are followers of Christ receive a gift, as if a prize, as if we are a winner. It is that the Holy Spirit lives in you. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit for us as our comforter and our guide, sometimes called the Spirit of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1 and other parts of the New Testament, he says the Holy Spirit is our earnest payment. He is our guarantee of salvation in the future with Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you have the gift of the Spirit of Jesus living in you. Congratulations. Well, along with the gift of the Spirit comes responsibilities today and every day to submit to following Him who resides in you. In fact, this story of the dedication of the temple by Solomon reminds us of his gift and of our responsibilities. Now today, if you're here in this place, or maybe you're just listening online today, that if you don't have Christ as your Savior, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord today, can I say that you have a home in heaven or Jesus or the Holy Spirit living in your heart? It is a free gift that the Lord wants to give you today. It is the gift of salvation. It is by His grace and through our repentance and faith that you can give your heart and life to Jesus. And along with that comes the Spirit of Jesus living in you, along with many other things as well. Look at verse 3, 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 3. It says, When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord of the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. They gave thanks to the Lord. What well, seems appropriate this Thanksgiving weekend, doesn't it? True Thanksgiving leads to genuine worship. Many people gathered around with their families today on Thursday or maybe another day of this week. And of those who gathered around, I'm sure not everybody, but I'm sure that there were many that offered a traditional Thanksgiving prayer and thanks for family and for food and for fellowship and for other things perhaps as well. And then probably even fewer of those who offered prayer, because not everybody that offers prayer to a God or the God that they've heard about, not everybody knows the Lord God through Jesus Christ. So perhaps even fewer offered a prayer 
of thanksgiving who have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, last night, I, I got to tell you, I tried not to yell too much. But uh, I ended up yelling way too much. And my goodness, fourth and 31. But I uh, tried not to yell too much. But, and I remember praying last night just before I went to bed. I said, Lord, if I'm going to... I mean, because I knew I had to preach twice today. And I said, and you might hear a little rasp in my voice. A couple of you don't have any voice at all, so I did better than you. But, uh, but I said, Lord, if I'm, I'm going to need your help tomorrow, I, said, I believe I could do one service, but I'm really going to need your help to do two services. The Lord quickly reminded me that he was the one who gave me a voice. Uh, how arrogant of me to think that I did not need the Lord through both services as well. Listen, in Christ, we are humble winners. Here's a test to see if you had genuine thanksgiving or just going through the motions this week. Because genuine thanksgiving for those who are in Christ leads to genuine worship. Humbling, bowing before a holy God. Putting Christ in the center of your heart and the making Him supreme Lord of your life. It leads you to declare, I'm a winner in Christ, therefore I am a worshiper of the Lord Jesus. I am a worshiper of the Lord Jesus. I want you to picture the scene here in verse 3 that we've read here a couple of times. All the leaders of Israel were present. All of Israel were invited. All the men particularly would make their way if there could. Some families, if they were feasible, were there in Jerusalem at the dedication of the temple, the prayer, sacrifices, eating, all that's going to take place. How many were there? Well, we don't exactly know. Tens of thousands? Hundreds of thousands? Million people in Jerusalem? Boy, that might be hard to fathom, but they were all there and they worshipped and they all said something together. What, what was it they said? Look at, the, look at the end of verse 3. Very last verse, very last sentence. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Listen, you're all awake, it looks like. You hadn't eaten turkey in about 12 hours at least. And uh, so, so let's, let's see if we can't say this together. This last sentence, let's say it now. For he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Now, can you just imagine this being said by the tens or the hundreds or how hundreds of thousands or however many might have been in Jerusalem? You can't imagine because you've been to a ball game or you've watched a ball game on TV and you know that there are cheers that take place and we're passionate about those cheers. Not every cheer a preacher can say, nor will we say in church. You understand? But hey, it's fun to be able to be able to do that very thing. But here's the thing, with much more conviction, and most certainly much more important it is that we might be able to have with conviction and be able to say this with conviction, might be genuine in the heart, and when we say it, God is pleased, heaven rejoices. And other people are drawn to that which is more important than a ball game. <laughs> yes, I'd have said that even if we had won. But also, you have a reason to worship, no matter how blessed you are, or if you don't feel that you're blessed physically, you don't feel that like you're being blessed financially, or maybe in your relationships, you're, you, your marvelous and majestic God cares for you, and He's worthy of worship. Let's read a little bit more. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 5. It says in that verse, King Solomon offered as a sacrifice 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. Now they're sacrificed, but also going to be offered to the people. That's a lot of beef. And it's a lot of lamb, which tells you there must have been a lot of people there 
that were taking place. Look at verse 8. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 8 says, At that time Solomon held the feast for seven days, and all of Israel with him, a very great assembly from Lebohamath to the brook of Egypt. Lebohamath would have been northern Israel, brook of Egypt, of course, uh, to the south. God's people ate together. Sometimes people think that we as Baptists here make a lot of food, maybe about food. We eat a lot of food, perhaps. But it's biblical, is it not, of God's people eating together? We see it in the Passover, and Passover continuing to happen in the Old Testament. Jesus at the Last Supper with his disciples, feeding the 5,000. Those people ate together. Uh, Acts chapter 4 says that God's people were eating together and worshiping and learning uh, daily. They were eating together daily. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about an agape love feast, though the people there were in trouble because they weren't waiting on others. But we are made for fellowship and community. Jesus often ate with the disciples and he ate with tax collectors and sinners and friends and he used all of these times so that he might be able to have teachable moments. But it's not uncommon for our New Testament church to do what we did last week, you might remember. So we had our Thanksgiving service last week. We came together, we heard testimony, many testimonies. We were invited to the Lord's table and we had the Lord's Supper and we remembered that which we have in common through the body and the blood of Jesus. And then what did we do? We all, went down to the, we all went down to the Christian Life Center and we broke bread uh, together. These are things that we should do, that it, it is common for us to be able to do that. We, but if we, if we have genuine thanksgiving, it leads to genuine worship. Worship, when worshiping the same God, leads to community and fellowship and celebration of what we have in Jesus. Take a look again at verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 12. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I've heard your prayers have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Solomon had prayed a prayer of dedication and a prayer of blessing. Most of chapter 6 is Solomon's prayer that he prayed. Uh, it's a long prayer, but just want to read the very last verse in chapter 6. Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 42 said, Oh Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed one, he prayed. Remember your steadfast love for David, your servant. Solomon prayed. God heard it and God spoke. Prayer, as you know, is a two-way street. We can pray to God at any time and in any place and he's always listening. Humble prayer is usually best and probably the best way that we're able to hear from God. And we want to be able to hear from God. God does want to speak it. God wants to tell you something. Today God wants to tell you something. I guarantee it. Listen in prayer. You have the Holy Spirit living in you if you're a follower of Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants to guide you. He wants to reveal things to you. We have the Word of God that we have, which is God's Word to us. Whether you've got it in the hard copy written form, you got it on your phone, you got it on the jumbotron, wherever it is, we recognize that it is God's word. I will have to tell you this, you might have to open it up every now and then in order to be able to know what God is saying. Speaking of guarantees, I guarantee you if you will be more consistent in reading your Bible, it will become much more clear what God's plan is and what God wants to reveal to you. And then we know that Jesus himself, his very actions, what he did, what he said, what he did on the cross, Certainly in his resurrection reveals more to us about what his message is of love and grace to you. So you want to make it personal. I'm a winner in Christ. 
I'm able to speak and to hear from God because of the Lord Jesus. Do do you need more confidence in this? It's arrogant to think that we do not need to go to the Lord often. It is a lack of faith to think that He does not care or is not listening. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It's kind of the mirror passage of the first Chronicles 7, 14. Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So help me here. We're reading about the dedication of the temple, Solomon's temple, first temple in Jerusalem. The Lord said, this is the place I will dwell. So in light of the New Testament, what's the most obvious lesson here? Here are a couple of hints. When the disciples were expressing, they were in Jerusalem with Jesus, and they were expressing the magnificence of the temple, how grand the temple was, And by the way, it was Herod's temple by then, not Solomon's temple. But what did Jesus say? He said, this temple will be torn down, and in three days I will rebuild it. Of course, what was he referring to? He was referring to his resurrection, of course. And referring to himself and the new temple, much like the new Israel. Does that make it clear? Where does the Lord dwell today? He dwells in the hearts of all those who know and love him. So I am, making it personal, I am a temple of the living God. I am a temple of the living God. Paul addressed the city or the church at Corinth, as well as us today, I guess, in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. He asked the question of them, maybe because they didn't know or maybe they need to be reminded, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? He says with a question mark. So let me ask the question today. If you truly believe that God's Spirit dwells in you, would it make a difference in how you live? Probably need to turn that into a statement. If you know the Holy Spirit dwells in you, it will make a difference in how you live. Somebody ever say to you or you ever say to somebody, you know, God's watching. Well, (laughs) in light of this, God's not only watching, but He's dwelling in you. And we are humble winners. Who am I that God would make me a temple and dwell in me? God spoke to Solomon and foresaw a time not so distant future that God's people would begin to forsake him and turn to idols and to wicked lifestyles like that of the pagan world. But God made this promise. If his people who are called by his name, if they will turn from their wicked ways, if they will pray, if they will seek their face, the Lord will heal from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Who does this passage apply to? It certainly applied to the Old Testament Israel who are often disobedient, even though God had blessed them, all of his promises that he had promised them came true, including coming into the promised land. He had never forsaken them. We find in the Old Testament kind of a seesaw type event They sinned, things got bad, pestilence sometimes. Sometimes there'd be famine or sometimes there'd be enemies that would come and destroy them. They'd call upon God. God would hear their prayer. He'd forgive them. And often after droughts and pestilence, God would restore their land. Certainly applied to the Old Testament Israel. It still applies to Israel today, whom God loves and is calling the people of Israel to himself so that they might, by grace through faith in Jesus, come to know him. 
we've talked about that in the last uh, week, some of the last few weeks. Now, the Lord may or may not restore all of Israel and all of their land and all the physical blessings, but even better, He wants to give every individual Israelite real living and eternal living found in Jesus. It might surprise you about this particular passage that it does not necessarily apply to the United States or to any particular nation as a whole. Yes, all those who turn to Christ in repentance and place their faith in Him are forgiven and will be saved, but this is a promise to God's people. You today who are followers of Jesus, when, not necessarily if, but when you are not following Him or when you're not growing in Christ or when you have turned from Him or turned to your old ways or turned to the world, we've not lost our faith in salvation. We've not lost our salvation, but the Lord will restore our fellowship and joy that we can have walking with Him. He will heal our land. Listen, what was the land the Lord had in mind? It was the promised land. Well, today the Lord wants to give you the promised land today. Just like He gave, wanted to give the Israelites in the Old Testament. No, He does not want you to go and move to the Middle East. My goodness, we couldn't even fly to parts of the Middle East today. To some parts. Nor does the promised land just talk about one day when we are in, able to be in heaven with Him forever. Now, we will understand that is the greatest gift. We'll not completely understand it until we get there and what the Lord has in mind. So what is the promised land that He wants to give you today? He wants to give you a life worth living following Jesus Christ where He is your Lord and Savior and you are serving Him and others daily seeking first and foremost the kingdom of God. At least that's what I read about what Jesus tells us and what the New Testament teaches. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, my wife was uh, teaching... Uh, Mission friends to girls, and by the time my children are about that age as well, you know, the mission friends or GAs, Girls in Action, one of those groups, and she was telling about, you know, children who lived in other parts of the land that need to hear about Jesus, and we need to tell them about Jesus. And she, she said, you know, there are people that are living in grass huts that uh, uh, sleep, that have dirt floors, and children that sleep on the floor that they don't have any beds. And my wife, my dear wife, she's seen it firsthand, and she began to tell the story. One of the girls held up her hand. One of the girls that we pick up for church that lives kind of a poor neighborhood, and we brought her to church. She raised her hand. My wife said, uh, said yes, dear. And she said, I don't have one, Miss Kelly. She said, you don't have one what? She said, I don't have a bed. I sleep on the floor. And I don't know how long it took her to be able to say this. And, uh, but she said... Dear, this will be the last night that you ever have to sleep on the floor. And some of you know my dear sweet wife, Miss Kelly. If she, gets some, if she gets on a mission of something, the mission's going to be completed. And in 24 hours, that girl not only had a bed and a mattress, but also a pair of bunk beds for the two uh, twin sisters uh, that she had as well. She and other ladies in the church were the hands and the feet of Jesus. You remember this movie, The Blind Side? Uh, we're kind of going with a football theme, I guess, for whatever purposes today. But, uh, uh, but uh, now, this event that took place with us was before we saw the blind side. But you remember the scene where he gets his own room and his own bed. Go and go to the next one. That's, I guess, where he's sleeping on the couch. And then Sandra Bullock, I know it was Miss Tui, but Sandra Bullock gave him his bed and a room. And he says, 
I've never had one before. And she said, you've never had what? A room to yourself? No, a bed. She said, well, you have one now. I poked my wife and I said, that's you. Listen, scores of people in the world who would say, I've never had one. I've never had hope. I've never known genuine, true, unconditional, godly love. I've never known a reason to live. Through you and I, the temple of the living God, we are to let the world know you have hope now. We are humble winners, victorious in Christ, because without Jesus, we would also, we would have no hope. We would not know what genuine, true love is. We wouldn't have no real purpose in living. But if we're a winner in Christ, then it must be true also that we are losers to this world. In fact, I'm going to make a bold statement here. You cannot have both. You cannot be a winner in Christ and live like a winner in Christ and live like you're a winner to this world or worldliness. But, but I do think that needs to be explained. There are plenty of people who are genuine believers but are living more like the world than they are like Christ. It may be in our culture particularly that most believers are living more like the world. But God has called you and I to a higher purpose, to a, something greater. You cannot be a humble, submissive winner living a victorious Christian life unless you're seeking to forsake what this world has to offer. We are losers to this world and are grateful to be such because we are winners in Christ. Notice this in verse 16, 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 16. It says, For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. Who or where is the house where the Lord dwells. Well, you are if you're a follower of Jesus. Therefore, I am chosen in Christ, not chosen for this world. I'm chosen in Christ, not chosen for this world. Now, I don't mean to make this more complicated than it is. I want you to be able to understand, but the New Testament tells us again and again, all those who are Christians who are chosen in Christ... While the good news of God is for everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, the Scripture tells us. But once you come into the kingdom, you are God's chosen, like Israel. In fact, Paul calls all those who believe in Jesus the new Israel. And you're not chosen for this world. You're called to serve God and to serve others for kingdom purposes. But also, I am found by Jesus when I was lost. I am found by Jesus when I was lost. No matter how good it seems that you or maybe others around you seem to be having it without Jesus in this world, eventually all will be lost were it not for Jesus. God's people are often referred to as sheep who are lost sheep until we're found by Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 25 says, You are straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And you might remember the story of the prodigal son. At the very end of that, as he's talking to the older brother, the father proclaimed, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. They began to celebrate. See, we're no longer lost if you're a follower of Jesus. You're in the sheepfold of the good shepherd. Let's stop trying to live as if we are both his sheep and the world's, or worse, living like we belong to Satan's world. But also, we're thankful losers. I'm, I'm willing to lose everything for the sake of Christ. 
I'm willing to lose everything for the sake of Christ. This is what God calls. He calls us to be all in. It's much easier said than done. And for some of us, it may be hard just to say, Solomon did not pass this test. He did not finish well because of the things of this world. Now, maybe you're not there yet. But even as a believer in the Lord Jesus, we're still being sanctified. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. But may we grow in Christ enough to be willing to lose everything if that is what He requires. And even now, giving everything we have and all that we are over to Him. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? I asked you earlier, What's the most talked about name in uh, all of uh, football? Some of you probably knew before I said it. But uh, so let me ask you another question. Who's the most popular coach this year with a losing record? I give you a hint, not the state of Alabama. But you know who it is? Deion Sanders. Deion Deion. Also called primetime. He's in the spotlight again. And maybe you need to be reminded or maybe you weren't around when it happened, but he played both professional football and professional baseball. The first one to ever play both in the Super Bowl and the World Series. He was called Mr. Super Bowl because he won back-to-back Super Bowls with two different teams. He said this, and this was his testimony from some years ago. Don't know what's happened in his life spiritually today, but he said when he won his first Super Bowl, he went to his room, locked himself in that room, and he began to cry. Not tears of joy, but tears of grief. He had reached every goal that he had in life, and he said, his words, it was worth nothing. It was empty. What now? What was left? So he said another goal. Win another Super Bowl. Join another team. And he did that. Joined the Dallas Cowboys Won the Super Bowl again. You know what he did? He went to his room and wept, cried all night and all. He knew something was missing, something was wrong. Then one day, a friend, Mark Logan, one who played for the Washington then Redskins, told him about Jesus and the difference knowing Jesus made in his life. And he read from Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes in the righteousness And with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. That night he said that he was delivered from emptiness and he gave his heart and life to Jesus and accepted him as his Savior and Lord. He called his mama, who knew about his sordid lifestyle. Then he called everybody he thought, cared, and told them. He said, on the nights that I won the Super Bowls, I spent the night crying alone. But that night was the biggest night of my life because I knew that Jesus made a difference and that change had taken place. Today can be the biggest day in your life because you've decided to give it all over to Jesus. And for some people, when they make a change, it's a dramatic change. For some, it is a reminder of what Jesus Christ has done, and it is a commitment to continue to live for Him and to put Christ first and foremost with the assurance of salvation and knowing that Jesus walks with you today. There's one other way in which you are a thankful loser. To this world, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. As a matter of fact, it's Galatians 2.20 that says, I've been crucified, crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I invite you to join others in being a humble winner in Christ and being a grateful to be a loser to this world. Speaking of the importance 
or important parts of Chronicles. Here's a benediction, introduction to your prayer, and this is from 1 Chronicles chapter 29 in verse 11. And this will lead us into our prayer time. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you're exalted as head above all. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today knowing that you are in our midst and knowing that you want to be at work in all of our lives. And so we pray, Father, for all those who are here today. We pray, Father, for genuine believers who are seeking, Father, to walk with you. May this be a time in which we recommit ourselves so that we might be able to make a difference in the world in which we live and also so that we might be more like Christ. Father, we pray for those perhaps who have been far away maybe genuine believers, but have not been living the life that you'd have us to live. May it be our prayer from 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 14 that we will call upon you now. Seek your face. Ask that you forgive our sins. Bring us back into our right fellowship and relationship with you. Restore our joy today. We pray also, Father, for those who may be here, those who may be listening that don't know you as Lord and Savior. Cannot say for sure they have a home in heaven. Not for sure they have the Holy Spirit living in them. Father, today may they pray, even now, asking Christ to forgive them of all of their sins. Asking Jesus to be their Savior and Lord. May they open up their heart and receive this free gift of salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for your being in our midst today. We pray, Father, that we may continue to bring up great worship. May we bring up May we continue to give thanksgiving, not just on one day or this time of the year, but always may it lead us to worship. And may our worship lead us to action. Lift up these prayers in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand? As we continue in worship today, may it be a time that we focus on also on what the Lord would have us to do. As we leave this place in the days ahead, we committed ourselves to Him so that we walk with Him. We're going to be singing today, and I'm going to be down at the front as well as several of our ministers here. We'd love for you to come and talk with one of us if you'd like to pray. We'd love to pray with you. Our altar's open if you'd like to come and pray. We had several that came in the first service, joined the church. If you're looking to join the church, and two come for baptism. The Lord's leading you to, you know Christ as Lord and Savior, but you haven't been baptized or made it public. We encourage you to come. If you need to come, talk about matters of faith. We're ready to talk with you today. You come as we sing together.